Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. If you're committed to living a healthier life, you might want to look into working herbs into your wellness routine. There's a reason people have trusted them for thousands of years. Nature's Way understands that nature is the ultimate problem solver, and they're constantly inspired by the power of nature. For example, their ginger root and slippery elm bark have been traditionally used for digestive support. And St. John's wort, holy basil, and ashwagandha can provide mood and stress support. And because Nature's Way sources from around the world and does a ton of comprehensive potency and quality testing in their state-of-the-art lab, you can be sure you're getting top-quality herbs. To learn more, visit naturesway.com. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side-by-side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Did you know that on the day Dr. King was shot, the all-black security detail normally assigned to him was called off? They're the ones who would not allow him to stay at any hotel with balconies. Chief Wallace, did you ever ask what this was all about? Yes. And what were you told? Told that I had been threatened. This is the MLK Tapes. The first episodes are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. I'm Jade Iovine, and I host Tell Me About It, the podcast that is the antithesis of a success story podcast, where we leave things like girl boss energy and lucky breaks at the door and instead celebrate and commiserate about all the things that make us human. This is the podcast manifestation of those conversations you have with your best friend at 4 a.m., We have all kinds of women from all different walks of life, like Gwen Stefani, Steph Shep, Amanda Knox, Lala Kent, Raven Simone, and JoJo. Listen to Tell Me About It with Jade Iovine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big Brother, North Korea's Forgotten Prince is a new true crime podcast that dives deep into the life and mysterious assassination of the man once destined to be North Korea's next dictator. Join me, Eden Lee, as we investigate a twisting tale of espionage, palace gossip, and political backstabbing, and dive into the motives and suspects behind the most bizarre assassination plot of the 21st century. Listen to Big Brother on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming February 23rd. My name 
is Veda Samarn, and I was the script supervisor on The Office. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to The Office Deep Dive. It is nice to be back with you all on this fine Tuesday, or whatever day you happen to be listening. I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today, we're wrapping up our little mini deep dive on the women of The Office with a woman who was truly the glue of our show. She kept everything together. Our script supervisor, Veda Samarn. This is someone I respect and admire so much, okay? She was with us on set every single day, making sure that we did our jobs and set our lines and that the director, the editor, and the writers all got what they needed to make a great show as well. And so how was she repaid? Well, she was repaid by the cast with groans, with eye rolls, because when we were having fun shooting on set, when Veda came in, uh uh-oh, well, it's because we did something wrong. (laughs) Oh, that's how we repaid her. Uh, But I really do. I I love her. And Veda and I, we had a special connection because Kevin's car on the show was actually Veda's car in real life. Yeah. Remember Kevin's fuzzy steering wheel cover? Now that, that's all Veda. Think of this. The simple task of keeping the entire cast on track, helping everyone with lines, uh, marking every take, supporting the director, editors, actors, props, wardrobe, all at the same time. She even made sure all of the clocks and watches were set to the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that was all her too. Now, when we spoke all the way back in February of 2020, uh, she was working on Steve Carell and Greg Daniels' show, Space Force, with lots of other office cast and crew. So she was getting to hang out with that crew almost every day in that moment. Lucky her. And, well, lucky you. Because now you get to listen to my conversation with the incomparable Veda Samarn. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning left over from the night before. So good to see you. Oh my gosh. I know it's been so long. Oh, right there. Right. Yeah. Right by that mic. He'll come in. It's always so fun to see people from the office. I know. Well, you were just working with a bunch of them. Yeah. That was a really cool experience. Just be back with, you know, Steve. Right. A whole bunch of us. Dave Rogers. Dave Rogers. Yeah. That was very cool. Yeah, and was that it? Wait, who was it? Well, well Greg. Greg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you still have the Rav Four? No. Oh gosh. Okay. So, you know, I remembered a good story about that. You know, because the prop department always had to change my license plate. Right. Oh, right. To make it Pennsylvania. And I once drove home with the Pennsylvania plates. I remember. 
And when I got home, I thought, oh my God, that's not good, is it? You know, and, and then, and then of course, I didn't know how to get them off, so I had to drive back the next morning with them on. <laughs> but um, it doesn't reflect well on the prop department. I yeah, guess, they, so I they no, that's good but, though. You know, they had, but also I remember there were all these stickers all over it that were like Pennsylvania stickers that I had. That I just left on. Oh, you afterwards? Well, because Kevin was always there, so my car was always right there, and it's that's that's another continuity thing that I thought of. You know, like the car continuity. There were so many weird kinds of continuity. Right. All right, so first, how did you get hooked in? Was it through Ken Quapas? Yes. Okay. I had done a movie with him. I did a movie that he wrote called Sexual Life. So I knew him from that. And he knew I was smart and that, you know, I could figure stuff out and, and, you know, that this show was going to require someone who could figure stuff out. Right. And you came in Diversity Day, right? Yes. That's the second episode. second episode. Yes, yes, yes. I didn't do the pilot. I never met the person who did the pilot. But no, I did every other episode after that, though. I I just stuck with it. Wow. I mean, why wouldn't I? I mean, it's the best show to work on. Yeah. The way the show was shot, was that more difficult for you? In other words, like, there are no marks. So much improv happening. That would affect you a lot, too. Um, Yes, it, it made my job completely different. I had to reinvent it. I think everyone did, you know, in their own job in their own department in their own capacity they had to reinvent what they normally do you had to throw it out the window and start all over again because this was really different at the beginning no one was allowed on set none of the crew members you remember that? right that's right because <laughs> the idea was that it was going to feel like a real office and you guys were going to get acquainted with the space and feel like you were home when you were there so that you would feel free to do whatever. So the way that affected me was humongous because, first of all, I I had to be in the green room with the writer the entire, I think it was two or three seasons we did that. Right. So I was outside the, the main office. I was outside the door. And so between takes, we would both have to run in. I mean, literally run in to give our notes. And... The no slating meant that I had to reinvent the way I did my notes because I had to be able to signal to the editors where all the good parts were. So I had to use time code instead of slates to separate out each part of it. So I had to create a new way of doing the notes. This was at the beginning. Later on, it got a little bit more traditional, a little bit more. (laughs) Right. But at the beginning, it was totally new. Um, You would just slate the scene and the camera would just keep rolling and a lot of what was on the camera was just the camera sitting on the ground and feet walking by so they had to use my notes literally to find the takes and to find the coverage like i'd say here the camera's going wide now so we're going to get a three shot of the accounting department right and then now in this take we got a close-up of kevin in this take we got a close-up of angela in this take we got a close-up of oscar you know it was like Every take was a different piece of coverage or, you know, a continuity. There was, there was so much continuity. But luckily, everyone was on top of it. So it wasn't just me, but I was definitely needed. I needed to track so much. Right. Because, you know, every, the episodes would take the uh, place in the course of a day. So it all had to make sense. 
Right, right, yeah. right. Like what was on, even what was on people's desks or. Yes. Yeah, because things she, would change through the course of the day. Yeah, and if we were going backwards or yeah, shooting like a scene. Yeah, Office Olympics, you know, like right. which games had been played. You know, you had to know at every moment. We tried to shoot in order, usually. Right. But we had to know which games had been played to know what each part of the office looked like. It was a lot to, you know, I had to have like special charts for everything. Like what else? Well, for example, the clock was always in the shot. And it didn't run. It, it, it We'd set it. but. When I prepped for each episode, I had to assign a time to each scene so that the set decorator could just take that list and set the clock. And they had, we realized after the first couple shows that we had to set it for every scene, no matter what, because you never knew what the camera was going to capture. I remember in the, the Hot Girl episode when they were buying purses, yes. you know, I had to keep track. That's another one. I had to keep track of what purse was on what desk at what time, like who bought what. And I remember very distinctly, this was the moment I realized that we had to be so careful about continuity. We had to make sure the whole office was correct for every scene because we were shooting a close-up of Dwight and I remember Randall just suddenly went around to the other side of Dwight so you could see Katie in the background, Amy Adams, mm -hmm. you know, and you could suddenly see that he had the purse that he bought later on his desk. Right. And so, of course, I had to run in, no, that's not there yet. <laughs> but that's when I realized, no, we can't leave anything out. You know, everything has to be correct for every moment. Right. Because I don't know where the, what the cameras are going to. See. Yes. I remember you with the clock and with the watches on people's <laughs> wrists. Yeah. And I I said later, and I have used this since, that the greatest decision that I ever unwittingly made was that not Kevin did wear not watch. wear a watch. <laughs> Thank because, God. Because having to adjust that watch every yeah. scene and the clock, you're right. Well, I, the watches, I, I got a little more easygoing about the watches. I decided only if someone like was going to be really showing okay. it to the camera. Because that, yeah, there was enough for us to worry about. <laughs> there was so much. Right. Who does the script supervisor serve? Well, the script supervisor is a department of one. So right. you're your own boss. Yes. And it's really hard to manage. <laughs> I remember there, there was a Kelly line about how she was she was a department of one and her department was so hard to manage. <laughs> I, always, I always thought that applied to script supervisors. Right. But in terms of, I guess, I don't know, it's so interesting to me. Like in terms of, you know, you're talking about needing to do stuff for the editors. You've got yeah. writers chirping at you, telling you, yes. you know, that they want lines set a certain way. You serve them all. You, I mean, you, you okay. Production, you keep track of a lot of information about the scripts and, you know, how much is shot and how much remains. You keep track of all the, the scenes and, you know, if anything's missing, you tell them right away. Or you keep track of scenes and what um, the director or the writers want to include in the cut for the editor. Mm -hmm. And for the, for the actors, you're helping them with lines. Sometimes they don't treat it as help, but... You basically are helping them remember their lines, and you work for the writers in the sense that you're trying to 
make sure the script is properly shot and that all the lines are as written. Right. Especially on The Office because, I mean, let's face it, it was like Shakespeare. The lines were beautiful. Yeah. They had to be said exactly as written at least once or twice just because they were so beautifully written. It just had to be that way. So I was a real, I was a real stickler for the, the verbiage, you know, the, the right people. Yeah. People would cower when I came towards them. If they had like a whole paragraph that they had to say, they would be so nervous that I was going to tell them they were doing it all wrong. But, you know, for the most part, I just wanted the comedy to be, for it to be as funny as it possibly could be. Right. I want to talk about that a little bit, that relationship between the actors and you on the show. Like, did you, did you feel comfortable with everybody? Well, like Rain, oh, for yeah. example. Like Rain would give you hell. I loved him. You know, I loved everybody. It was, everybody had a different way. You know, I think a lot of actors just, they want it to be so perfect that they get frustrated. And, and sometimes they take it out on me a little bit, but I don't really take it personally. And I know it, there's a lot of pressure on them. You were very, very skilled at that, particularly when we were in the conference room. And I just recall at times, you know, being in between a take and there being a, a kind of pause that when you're inside the conference room, you weren't quite sure what was happening. Like it felt like nothing was happening. And then you would turn the corner <laughs> and it would be like, uh-oh, somebody's <laughs> getting it now. Somebody is uh. getting it from Veda. Oh. Um, but I, I think it was all truly it felt like everybody was working to try to make it the best show oh, that absolutely that was that was so lovely and unusual about that show like i mean for nine years i was excited to go to work i got up i was happy that i was going to see the scenes i was going to see that day and i was so excited to see everybody at work you know every day so and i think everyone felt that way we all loved it so much. We wanted it to be as good as possible. So sometimes it took, you know, a little bit of bullying, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> to get some. Sometimes people would argue with me about lines. Well, I would make them say like every article, every little word, because I could feel the rhythm of the line. Like I knew how the line was supposed to sound. It was in my head. So I just ignored when people thought I was crazy because I, I knew I was right. And it, it quite often, the line would get a laugh after they added that tiny little word, like A. Just like one little word could make all the difference. Right. On I, that show. I've never seen that on any other show. How much after you handed in your notes, were you in dialogue with Dave Rogers or Claire or Dean or not really? Like, once, because you were shooting the next no, episode. I absolutely was, because okay. they were right there. They were in the next building, which is such a luxury, because that doesn't happen very often. So I could go over there at lunchtime or between scenes and say, you know, here's what's happening. A lot of times I would have to talk to them about the director, because we had a different director for each episode almost, you know. Right. And so many newcomers who were experienced directors, but they had never worked on the show before. So sometimes I thought they weren't quite getting it right. So I'd go and talk to Dave. And what do you think about what we shot yesterday? Does it, is this director getting it? Is there any way that I could kind of nudge them in one direction or another? 
And sometimes he'd say, you know, just get more reaction shots, get tons of reactions for this episode because I'm going to really need them. Or, or they'd say, you know, you're not, he's, this director's not getting enough angles. I need more angles to be able to pace the scene the way I need to pace it. Because that was a big thing for them, pacing for the comedy. Right. I remember some instances, but I want to talk to you about how you were tracking not just continuity within an episode, but also continuity within relationships that spanned mm -hmm. arcs, right? Yes, I was. And um, sometimes that was very difficult. Well, first of all, I didn't always know what or remember like what parts of the script had ended up in the final cut because it was half of it basically would be in the final cut. So I didn't always remember what had actually aired. And then if something was stated in season two and then in season five, we revisited that idea, sometimes I wouldn't remember that we'd already said something about that. And I'll give you an example like um, who started at Dunder Mifflin first, Pam or Jim? Okay. That was a big issue that the fans noticed because early on we said it was Pam, I believe, and then later on we said Jim had been there, or the I don't remember which way right. around it was, but it was years, literally years later that we addressed it again and contradicted ourselves. And that was, you know, I would catch those things quite often, but right. I couldn't catch all of them. It was just too hard. Right. So well, there were 22 hard. characters. and Yeah, and they all had their own stories. With different relationships to different there people. there was some question about, like, how many kids did Meredith actually have? Was it one or two? Because she says, it, when she's being described to Michael when he's trying to write a funny message on her birthday card in yes. the, season, the second season, or the first season, yeah. I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they say she has two kids. And then later she only had one. So then I think it was in a webisode that we addressed that issue and why she wouldn't talk about the other kid. <laughs> right, right, right. And I think that was the other thing I remember Greg talking about, which was, yeah, the webisodes. Was that a part of the history of the show too? I or was know. it just the episodes? Or was it everything we shot? Like, Yeah, there was a lot to keep track of. Yeah. And the writers had to try to keep it all in their heads too, you know. So hopefully with everybody thinking about it, most of the problems got addressed. But I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there are things that the fans are still finding. Right. Little nuggets. So So you would take the script and you would break it. So so tell me like the process of what how you would break down a script. Well, I would do that on the weekends. I would take the script and um for each scene I would, you know, note for myself the significant things that happened for each character in each scene, and then what time of day that was, so that I would be able to create like a story flow for myself. After the first season, I believe there was almost always a B story as well. Mm -hmm. So I would separate out the A, the B, sometimes there was a C story. And I'd, I'd color code them so that I'd see each story separately and how it developed over the course of the day. So like you're tracking, say, if Michael and Carol have something this episode and Jim and Pam or, you yes. know, Daryl and 
gym yeah. or something, right? You're tracking all you know, three like of those. Like in the middle of the day, they're not speaking to each other. You know, then I know that, you know, okay, that's, that's. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. About four hours into the day and then a couple hours later, something happens that makes them bond again. And yeah, that, that I was definitely tracking that kind of thing. And I would get a lot of questions about that from the actors. Yes. Like, when is this happening? Yeah. We're shooting scenes out of order. Yeah. Am I? Like, when am, did I get angry? Yes. Right. Am I building up to it now or has it already happened? Yeah. Right. So you have this chart and I'm fascinated about this. So are you, once actors get in wardrobe, if the wardrobe is changing, does that get added to your chart? Oh, yeah. I mean, every department keeps their own continuity. So I'm just really checking it. Right. The Yankee Swap episode must be the most complicated and difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, when does Phyllis have the mitt? Yeah. She gives it to Michael. And when we're shooting scenes out of order, who has it? What are they doing with it? Yeah. Definitely had to have a very clear chart of that. I remember Mike Schur and I were in the green room for that because that was when we still were not allowed on set. And, and I remember he's, we had so many charts on the walls, and one of the charts was his tally of how many times he had to run in each day. <laughs> <laughs> I still have that document. Oh, my gosh, you do? <laughs> I kept that document. Oh, my God. Like, how many times he had to run in? That is really <laughs> funny. It's a hard time for hiring. So you need a hiring partner built for hard times. 
That's Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Did you know that on the day Dr. King was shot, the all-black security detail normally assigned to him was called off? They're the ones who would not allow him to stay at any hotel with balconies. That security union was reassigned. There was a man there who had did you know that on the day Dr. King was shot, two black firemen stationed across the street and one black police detective who was surveilling King were all taken off the job? What was the emergency that caused you to be moved to another fire station? Sure, there was no emergency. Chief Wallace, did you ever ask what this was all about? Yes. And then what were you told? Told that I had been threatened. This is the MLK Tapes. The first episodes are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On an episode-by-episode basis, you're a department of one. So you serve yourself and you're (laughs) served by yourself. But are you like who are you working closest with on a week? Is it the writers? Is it the director? Or is it? It's usually the director. Okay. But I mean, the director and the actors. But um, on the office, the the writer was very involved. So that that was, I also worked very closely with the writers. That isn't always the case. On comedies, usually the writer comes to set, but quite often they'll, they'll, send a writer to supervise the writing for them. You know, there'll be like a designated writer who's on set. But on The Office, it was 
usually the writer of the episode would be on set. Did you have any special secrets mm. or ways that you dealt with any of the particular actors on set? I mean, the, your relationship with each actor is different. Well, there were different ways I would have to f phrase things. Like, would you try one where you say it this way? Or, you know, with you, I would just say, you know, here's the line in the script. Right. You, you know, there wasn't a lot of attitude there. So <laughs> right. you would just say, Mostly, you would yes. just say, okay, but I want to say it this way. You know, we would just negotiate and it would be quick, <laughs> right. quick and easy. Yes, there would be some negotiation. <laughs> yes. Okay. But sometimes I would have to um, word things carefully because, I, and one, I remember once I told one of the actors, um, it's funnier this way. And I realized, no, I can't say it that way because he got so mad at me. <laughs> Don't tell me what's funny. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that I imagine on some shows there would be a level of defensiveness or like, I don't feel like we had that. I feel like everybody was no, trying good, very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wanted it to be funny and one, you know, I felt like there was an understanding. They knew that I was saying something because I thought it would improve their line or improve the, the scene. Yes. I wasn't, it wasn't ever personal for me. So I think right. they, I think for the most part, people were really nice to me. I think people, it was more. I just remember fondly, actually. I don't know if you felt that way, but I remember just a very, you know, almost like family. Mm. Like when, again, like when you would turn the corner, it would be like, oh <laughs> no, here's Veda. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it was fun. It was frustrating to me that I couldn't prompt lines. Because I just was usually too far away. Right. My voice doesn't carry very well. And people would end up just laughing when they asked for a line because they couldn't hear it. <laughs> that is so, that's and exactly that was, right. That was so frustrating for me. I mean, I've always, I like prompting lines. I try to do it in, in a timely fashion. But I don't know if you remember, after a while, we asked the stand-ins, Stephen Socks and that's uh, right. Lori Socks, to be on lines if it was a long scene they would kind of crouch somewhere closer yeah. and just be that was that came from me because i said you know i it's really not on this show i really can't be on the lines all the time so we set up that system where laurie and steven would sit in the room and just give lines really quickly because that's what you need when you're an actor right you need to hear the line just really quickly so you can st stick with the momentum of the scene right know? so it doesn't you don't lose the scene I do, I do remember though. Just again, I don't know why. Every all my memories go back to the conference room, but just being in the conference room, someone going, "What was? What is it? What's the line?" And you hear, and then everyone just laughing because there was just no. I was so embarrassed. There was no way to hear. Um, how difficult was it to track all of the improv stuff that happened? Well, I couldn't really track it. I mean, I, I would just say, okay, here, this is a big chunk of improv. And I'd try to describe to the editor what was happening in that section. And, and I'd try to make sure there were points where they could cut in and out of the improv sections. And that was all I could really do. Just make sure that everything up to the improv matched and everything coming out of it matched. <laughs> right. And that there were angles 
to cut to in case they needed to cut out of it. So I'd always encourage that we got reaction shots. That was a big deal to get a reaction pass. Yeah, which would give just cut natural yeah. cutaway points yeah. through anything. Cut, cut to Kevin. Cut to Kevin, <laughs> yes. Um, in terms of unscripted stuff or even physical gestures, I'm sure that you had an instinct, at least eventually, like, oh, well, that's going to be in the show. The example mm -hmm. that I'm thinking about is gay witch hunt. So Oscar mm -hmm. or Michael going and, and kissing Oscar. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I how knew that would be in the show. Yes. Yeah. How do you signal that out? Or does that become a specific thing that you add in to the script for the editor? Or Yes. My script is always the official script. It represents what was shot. So I cross out things that we don't shoot, and I'll add things that we do shoot if they're not in the script. So definitely I'll, I'll write that in. So I put, you know, this in this take, Michael kisses Oscar. Every, you know, director and the writer love that. Use it if you can, you know. Okay. Oh, those things. Like things. That. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I did after a while know what, which takes were going to be in the show, which takes were going to be looked at the most closely. And, you know, I knew what Dave would choose. When I saw the show, you know, at the end of the week, I would recognize the takes that he chose. I think I, I knew he was going to pick that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. After a while, yeah. Like, it's this, the family thing. I mean, you just know people's taste, you know, how they work, you know. You know, you know each other so well after a while. Yeah. I mean, Greg... Obviously, you're working closely with him when he's writing on set, when he's directing. How much communication do you have with him about your job specifically? It was just when he was on set, really, when he was directing particularly. And he would interact with me a lot. And then he, I think that's when people find out what my job is, <laughs> <laughs> when they direct something. Right. Were there any particular relationships with directors that you felt like you worked really well with and mm. and and that working relationship matured as the show yeah. went on well i think well always when the writer directed their own episode there was a real understanding because i always really appreciated the scripts the scripts were so good you know um and i think that they felt there was a lot of support coming from me because i wanted the script shot properly and sometimes um I could help a little bit with the angles and the, you know, the way the scene was shot because I knew what we would traditionally do with a scene like that, you know. So I always enjoyed working with Ken Quapis and Paul Feig and um, Ken Whittingham. And, yeah, you know, there were certain directors that would keep coming back and that I would love to work with. It was funny on The Office, particularly on that show, after a few years we felt like we knew how to make the show and we felt like we didn't even need a director. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the director would come on and they would be guided by all of us. And sometimes um, we would wonder about how they were shooting something. <laughs> I remember one time a scene was shot. It was a scene in the parking lot 
We were sh- Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment with a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Shooting it from an angle that I thought wasn't that right angle for the show, but that was just from what was in my head when I read it. Right. Well, the next week we came back and reshot it from the other angle. And I didn't. I hadn't said anything. Right. Because I felt like it wasn't really my place. I mean, the director and the DP were were decided to shoot it from the other side, but I thought that's not how this is supposed to be shot. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, there was a real feeling that the crew knew. The set knew the characters, knew the scripts better than anyone else. And so the director would just bring in a few interesting ideas that would shake it up a little, which was good. Right. Because it never became formulaic for that reason, I think, because we had so many new directors all the time. Yeah. Well, here's some names. Randall Einhorn, Matt Sohn, John Krasinski, me. Um, I believe Steve Carell, Claire Scanlon, Dave Rogers, all directed, I'm sure I'm missing some, but all directed on The Office for the first time. How was that for you working with inexperienced people, but people who knew the show so well? Did that present specific challenges? Yes and no. I mean, it... um when we had a, like a, a famous director coming in, it was always exciting, but it was always, that was more of a challenge because they didn't always get the show and it was hard to politely steer them in the right direction. <laughs> um, when it was somebody 
who was working on the show already, that problem was already solved. They got the show. They knew what the hum they knew the humor, they knew they knew the characters, they knew the spaces that we generally worked in and they knew how to make the show. Um, but sometimes they didn't know how to direct. <laughs> right. Um, just because they hadn't done it before. Right. And sometimes they didn't realize all the different things that were their responsibilities. And because we all knew how to make the show, we would often pick up the slack and we would do right. part of the director's job. And um, that was sometimes difficult because we all had so much to do already to have to, you know, help someone out when they don't even realize you're helping them out. That was kind of hard sometimes. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, you had all people just trying to direct this show, but the diverse range of experiences, you know, you've got editors, you've got Dave Rogers and Claire Scanlon who mm -hmm. presumably have never dealt with actors before. Right. Yeah, right. but they knew what shots they needed. They, they knew what shots they needed. And then you've got Randall and Matt, mm -hmm. who, again, don't really know how to deal with yeah, actors. They know but they know, the they know where that camera is. Yeah. Whereas, you know, actors, I knew how I wanted it to look, but don't talk to me about lenses, right? Or right. like what lens we're going to use, you know? So it's like coming at it from just different yeah. perspectives. I, I just think it's very interesting. I mean, every director has their strengths and weaknesses, but um, but when you'd get someone like Ken Quapis, you you know, it would go really smoothly because not only did he understand the show and know how to make the show, but he also knew all the aspects of directing and what everyone was expecting from him. So that was always the best for me when it was somebody like that. But um, but I know I I really you know wanted to support everybody so you know everybody who directed i you know i felt like they were bringing a lot of new things to the table and some things they just weren't that aware of yet but you know like some directors would you know like an actor directing would be very aware of the acting would be very often very aware of what would make the scene funny which was great um, but they might not be aware of the angles and the different kinds of coverage that we needed and the lighting or something, you know, so they, they wouldn't work with those departments. Mm. So the, those departments would have to jump in and pick up the slack. Right. Hey, it's Dua Lipa. I'm here to tell you about my brand new podcast, Dua Lipa at Your Service. I'll be sitting down with the world's most inspiring minds to uncover what makes them tick, what they've learned from their successes, failures, and the obstacles life has thrown at them. We're going deep with people revolutionizing not just their own industries, but also culture more broadly. From Lisa Tadeo, the author redefining what it means to tell women's stories, to the fashion industry virtuoso Olivier Roustain. You'll even hear me break bread with some of the most iconic and dishiest names in pop culture, like Sir Elton John. After a lot of upsets, a lot of disappointments, a lot of betrayals, it's turned out to be the most wonderful life right now that I could have ever imagined. I can't wait to share all of this and more with you. Listen to Dua Lipa at your service on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go, almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but Mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Jake Halpern here. If you've ever wondered what it's like to make a true crime podcast like Deep Cover, well, now's your chance to find out. Join me and my friend Dana Goodyear, who's the host of Pushkin's Lost Hills podcast, on March 16th for a digital conversation on true crime storytelling. We'll talk about how we make our stories dramatic and accurate and how we navigate all the ethical dilemmas that we face in the process. Get your tickets now at momenthouse.com backslash D-C-L-H. That's momenthouse.com slash D-C-L-H. Michael's search for family, you know, ends up being his, you know, his, his major journey through Mm -hmm. the show. Yeah. Do you have any specific recollections or memories about, about that, about a man who had nobody, all he wanted was somebody. He used the office as, as that somebody and then eventually finding love and going away. Well, it was what kept me hooked on his character the whole time. Always, I was always so interested to see what Steve would do with each new situation. What I kept wanting to find out, what I was so fascinated with every day was to see how the scenes would play out. Because I, when I read the script and studied it over the weekend, I always had very specific ideas about how it would look. I mean, I, I could see the whole, the whole episode in my head. So I guess what, you know, it's just like a personal fascination with, you know, is, is that the way it's going to look or is, right. it, is there going to be something different about it that I haven't imagined yet? And it was just fascinating yeah. to, see, to see how the actors would play out the scenes and how they'd say the lines because I would love the lines and I would want to hear them and I could hear like I could hear your voice in my head I could hear you know Michael's voice Jim's voice you know I knew how the how they generally delivered their lines but I I always wanted to hear how these specific lines were going to sound so as far as you know the the character arc and the journey I always felt like I was just an observer in, in that you know, and the writers were always coming up with interesting new twists. Right. Here's a question I've been asking people. What were you afraid of missing more? Steve or Michael Scott? Oh. Well, I was afraid 
that without Michael Scott, the show wouldn't work. And it did work. So I I was proud of us that we managed to make it work. But I knew personally that I would miss Steve terribly, that my heart would ache, (laughs) that I wouldn't just miss seeing him. And it's hard for a crew, you know, when you get close to actors, because you can't just go over to their house, you know. You can't just call them up and say you want to have a drink, you know, because it's a different kind of relationship. It's a work relationship. So, you know, I have I knew I would miss him. Yeah. As a person, you know, just miss seeing him. Well, and you, this is sort of occurring to me, but, you know, for seven years, he had the most to say. So you were, you definitely had the bulk of your work with, with him. Mm. He had long speeches too. Well, yes. Which he could memorize so fast. <laughs> it always amazed me. But I would help him. Yeah. He would always warn me, you know, I, I'm going to be all over the place with this. You know, so um, I would just. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Tell him if I thought something wasn't working or if he was leaving something out or, you know, he needed to say something a little differently. But for the most part, he, I just let him do his thing. Was he always receptive to you? Well, he was so sweet. You know, he, um, yes, he was always receptive because he knew I, I, I had a concern. You know, it wasn't just, I wasn't just trying to wield my power or something. You know, I actually, it was genuine. He knew that. So we do have a picture we took, though. We posed where Steve is going 
like this kind of like wants to push me away and I'm trying to give him a line. Because <laughs> that's the general right. feeling when the script supervisor gives lines that, you know, they're nagging you. <laughs> Did you ever feel like Toby? Did you ever feel like Toby? <laughs> always. <laughs> Pretty much always. <laughs> well, some I don't know because my, you know, this was a second career for me. I was for, I was an academic first, and I and I was a professor. And, Art history, right? Mm-hmm, and you know, film stuff, film history, film studies, and so my approach was always very sort of academic. You know, this line, is, you know, and I think I might nitpick a little because I I don't always have the perspective on it. You know, maybe this isn't that important, but you know, I I try to. Every script supervisor tries to judge very clear, clearly in their mind, you know, is this important enough for me to interrupt things, to, for me to throw? You know, you don't want to throw the actors off. You don't want to give them stuff to think about. You want them to do their thing. But, um, I mean, it, as far as continuity goes or lines or any of any of that, it's it's never perfect. There's always something you can correct. But you have to try to be smart about what to correct and what, to just leave because you don't want people to feel like they have to pay attention to the lines. You want them to pay attention to the acting or they you don't want them to suddenly start paying attention to like where their arms are, or where, you know? So I really try to correct people to a, at a, to a minimum. I try to keep it to a minimum because in my job, there is a certain nerdiness, you know, you tend to be very attuned to the, to details and you don't always see the big picture. So, you know, I try to pay attention to the directors and to, you know, how they're dealing with the actors. If they're not giving notes, I'm not going to go in and give a note because there's a reason they're not giving them yet. They're trying to let the actor find something. And I, over the years, I think I've gotten more and more sensitive to that. What was it like working with Steve as a director? The last episode he directed is the one he proposes to holly what was it like working well, he's with him so in that smart way? you know and it made it pretty easy because he was so nice so smart so savvy about the show he was a great director to have yeah toward the end he had this idea that he wanted threat level midnight to be seen on the show talk to me a little bit about the challenge of attempting to piece together and and find the continuity of this movie that was supposedly oh. shot. Well, the thing about that was that it was supposed to be goofy. We weren't doing continuity for Threat Level Midnight. It was going to be something that didn't have continuity. But that's a tricky thing because I remember when I first got hired to do the show, I remember Ken Quabba saying, we're, you know, we're not going to worry about continuity because it's a documentary. The documentarians can make mistakes. But that only works on certain levels. That works on the level of, uh, on the cutting level. Like if if the documentarians cut in two different pieces of a take, cut them together in an awkward way, that would be okay. But you can't cut together two takes that don't match because then you're implying that this thing happened twice and it only happened once. You know what I mean? So right. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. So there has to be a reality to it that you know um so that continuity was actually very important in in the end and not something i could ignore 
And you didn't want to imply that the documentarians were saying, okay, do this again. Right. And, you know, but do it a little differently because they were just supposed to be shooting discreetly, you know, and not controlling the, what was happening. There were all kinds of new, new kinds of continuity that I hadn't really thought about before. Like if somebody was out of the office, their jacket couldn't be on their chair because they were wearing it. Right. So you'd have to, you know, look at sort of the the opposite side of the continuity. What what shouldn't be there? <laughs> oh, right. In the parking lot, it was the same way. What cars should be there and what cars shouldn't be there? We'd have to always think about that. Well, the most important car was <laughs> your actual car. Yes. Right. That was Kevin's car. Kevin's car <laughs> for a long time. Do you remember when it first got established? It was right away. It was like yeah, yeah, the first season. Yeah. And As just you going even to drove the car. It a few times. I drove it quite a few times <laughs> in the end. Yes, in front of Holly when she's impressed with me, sort of most notably. Um, yeah, I remember thinking, you know, she's so impressed that I'm driving the car. And I remember having this idea of just driving it straight over the curb, just <laughs> like, bye-bye, and just plowing right. And then I thought, well, it's Veda's car. car. I think I won't. I think I won't do that. Yeah, but I yeah, I always remember RAV4. Oh, it wasn't a RAV4. It was, was a it? CRV. CRV. Yeah, CRV. at first I forgot myself, Yes, but no, it was a Honda CRV. Honda CRV. And do you remember there was like this fuzzy tiger striped cover over the wheel over the wheel yes after after a couple of years my husband bought that for me because the steering wheel would get cold <laughs> yeah but i remember at the production meeting john was directing the episode where you were driving the car and i asked him i said should i take off the fuzzy steering wheel cover and he said i would never ask you to do that <laughs> i would never ask you to take off something like that no that if that's on your car you leave that that's so great and we all got a little bump on our paycheck if we, if our, I think it was like $5 <laughs> that you got if your car was in a scene and they just kept a tally of how many times your car was in a scene and you'd get a little bump for that. Really? Do you get residuals? Does the car <laughs> <No>. get residuals? <laughs> no. No, but the car was in a lot of shots. <laughs> a lot of shots. No, it was. Anybody who is deemed to have power, who thinks differently, is a threat and needs to be eliminated. Big Brother, North Korea's Forgotten Prince, is a new true crime podcast that investigates the life and mysterious assassination of the man once destined to be North Korea's next dictator, Kim Jong-nam. Join us as we interview top experts and investigate the rise and fall of the Hermit Kingdom's one-time heir. From his early promise. He should have been the successor. To the deadly palace intrigue. A lot of cloak and dagger, you know, James Bond kind of stuff about Kim Jong-nam. To the power struggles that ultimately spelled his doom. In North Korea, it's business. It's not personal. When somebody challenges you, that challenger must be eliminated. Listen to Big Brother on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming February 23rd.
What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Was The Office um, your acting debut? (laughs) Well, I was only in that last, yeah, I was in that last episode, and yes. That was your acting debut? Absolutely, yes. Any memories about being on set in front of the camera? I was always so nervous. I'm really shy, so (laughs) that was not comfortable for me, but I like that we were all, you know, that a lot of us were in that final episode. I think that's very cool. Yeah. But it was, um, I didn't want to have a line or anything. What do you remember going into the finale? Did you feel like it was time for it to be over? I didn't want it to be over personally. I, I would have liked to just work on that show for the rest of my career. But um, I felt like it was smart to decide when your show is going to end and wrap it up beautifully instead of just ending it suddenly. But it was so sad. (laughs) It was just hard for all of us, I think. Yeah. What was it, do you think, about the show that, I mean, obviously it's a job. And in our industry, like having a job and a good job is, is a blessing. But it felt different. There was something about it that felt special. Yes, definitely. There was a lot of love. You know, there was a lot of um, caring for the show, caring for each other. It was a good environment. And, you know, even though it was very tiring, we were all exhausted, it felt good to do that job and to be there every day. It was hard to imagine not having that. And I really never have found a show where I feel that way. So I was right to be sad because it really was something that I was losing. I mean, I've enjoyed shows I've worked on since then, but never, I never felt that warmth and that camaraderie in anything else. We were all, we all laughed so much that sometimes it was hard to finish a scene. And I had to put that in my notes because, you know, I'd say this scene was great up until they all broke. That was something the editors would mention to me sometimes. You know, I, I can't cut this. It's like somebody's breaking in every take. But then also the crew, we had to, you know, we couldn't laugh out loud. And right. that, that is hard to do sometimes, especially if you're in that little talking head room. Yeah. And you're sitting right in front of the actor. There were times when I had to actually leave the room. But that was one thing that made it great to be there every day because you would, there was so much that was so funny. There was so much laughter. Um, talk to me about this German lullaby oh. that appeared in the show. That was in Mindy's, something Mindy wrote, right? Mindy Kaling, the episode was Night Out. Dwight, it was Dwight. Dwight sings Ryan to sleep. Yeah, um, my mother was Viennese. Okay. So her first language was German. And when growing up in Vienna, they spoke German. And 
So her mother would sing her German lullabies. So when I was a child, she sang German lullabies to me when I was falling asleep. So I knew a couple of German lullabies. And so I just piped up and said, you know, I, because I, I guess she wanted him to sing something to Ryan. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I said, well, I, he could sing what my mother sang to me, and I sang it for her. Was it Schlaf, Kindlein, Schlaf? I'm not sure. Schlaf, Kindlein, Schlaf. Mm-hmm. Is yes. that the one? Yeah, something I think that like was it. That. Yeah. And um, I always found it very soothing. So, <laughs> so yeah. It turned You're out. waiting. How did it go? Well, I, I don't remember the words right now, but I know it goes, starts Schlaf, Kindlein, Schlaf. I, I don't remember the words yeah, right that's now. That's all right. I, at the time, I still I remembered the words or I looked them up. Schlaf, Kindlein, Schlaf. <laughs> that's very funny. Um, guys, is there anything else that I've missed here? Is there yeah, look at your list. <laughs> I actually hear all this stuff. Do you ever say that's what she said? I say it. I I say it. I say it around friends. I tend to not draw attention to that fact. But yes, I do. You say that's what she said. Well, my husband and I say it all the time at home. Yeah, but I try not to say it on set anymore because I think people do get maybe offended by it and. You know, sets are so sensitive now about harassment and saying things like that. So I don't say it on set anymore. I just I, sometimes I have to say it, so I say it to myself, really right. quietly. <laughs> do you do you think that this show could be made now in this in this? Oh, that's a good question. Woke um, PC environment. I think it was. You know, a perfect storm. It's like, you know, everything came together at that moment. All the people involved, all the ideas, all the, um, you know, the crew, the talent. It all came together in a way that made it all work. And I don't know if it could ever happen exactly that way again. Yeah. I don't know if it has to do with the time period or it was just the miracle of all those personalities coming together at that moment. Yeah. Veda, thank you so much oh, for coming. Pleasure. Yeah, for coming to talk to me and your your perspective having watched it all <laughs> as it happened is is really well, it was a really delight great. to watch. Veda, what a delight you are. And thank you for speaking with me. What a true pleasure to have you in. That's what she said. Uh, And thank you, listeners, for joining in. Uh, Join us again next week, please, for another riveting conversation. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us comments on, on whatever podcast platform you see fit. Have a great week. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. 
Our producers are Emily Carr and Diego Tapia. Our social media producer is Liz Hayes. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. resolutions with the Before Breakfast podcast. In each bite-sized daily episode, you'll learn how to make the most of your time with practical tools to help you feel less busy and get more done. Listen to Before Breakfast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Lethal listeners. Tig here. Last season on Lethal Lit, you might remember I came to Hollow Falls on a mission. Well, I'm finding out that in this town, the dead don't keep their secrets for long. And the bodies keep piling up. The second season of Lethal Lit is available now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.